Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. field in Herefordshire, England, when they stumbled upon a Viking treasure. It's the kind of story that all of us dream about, wandering around in some field with metal detectors and stumbling upon a treasure. As these three men began to dig down, by all accounts, about three feet beneath the surface of the ground, they stumbled upon all of these silver ingots and gold coins and priceless jewelry. One of the bracelets that is shown from this treasure hoard is this intricately woven dragon that you can just imagine around the forearm of a Viking warrior. The problem, however, is that these three men violated British law. You see, when they found this buried treasure hoard, they decided to keep it for themselves and to try to sell it on the black market. And under British law, they are entitled to the market value of the hoard, but it has to be turned over to the government for sale. These three men were sentenced to a total of 25 years in prison between them, and it didn't have a happy ending, not the kind of ending that we would hope for when it comes to a story of finding buried treasure. It's certainly not the kind of ending that we find in our stories this morning in the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn over there, we're going to be reading in Matthew 13, 44 to 46 in just a little while. But in Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46, we're going to find two parables that Jesus tells, one of which is the parable of buried treasure. And it will have a very happy ending, a very happy outcome. And the other will be the story of a merchant who purchases a very expensive pearl. Throughout Matthew's gospel, as we prepare to come into this, we find that Jesus, and Matthew has been recording these stories of Jesus, talking about all of these things that have been hidden. Particularly, Jesus is telling his audience, telling his disciples and the crowds that are following him, That the kingdom of heaven and the mysteries of God have been hidden since the creation of the world. In Matthew's own language, he spoke um, what we call the dialect of Koine Greek. The word for hidden is crypto. And so we find throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus is talking about a crypto kingdom. And you might say that when Jesus talks about the things that are required of us to enter into that kingdom, Jesus talks about a cryptocurrency, not the Bitcoin that we talk about today, but rather the cryptocurrency of the kingdom is righteousness. So we're going to see a parable about a a crypto kingdom, that is a hidden kingdom in Matthew 13 today, a hidden kingdom that is now revealed. The other story we're going to see that Jesus pairs with it is the story of a pearl. And it's interesting that the Bible doesn't talk about pearls very much. In fact, Matthew talks about pearls twice, and that pretty well covers the discussion of pearls in the New Testament and most of the Bible in general. And again, in Matthew's own language, I found this fascinating. The word for pearl is margarita. 
Now, when we think of margaritas today, we have a very different understanding about what Jesus might be talking about. But we get the idea that when Jesus begins to speak these two parables, he's talking about a crypto kingdom and a margarita. He's talking about a hidden treasure and a pearl. And that's why I've entitled my sermon today, Crypto Kingdom and Margaritas with Jesus. These two parables in Matthew 13 are found in the middle of seven parables. When you come into Matthew 13, you're going to see that Jesus is going to describe for us seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. And when we come into Matthew 13 and this, these seven parables, if biblical scholars are correct, and I'm not entirely convinced that they are all correct, but they believe that in Matthew's gospel, Jesus preaches five separate sermons or five discourses uh, that he records, uh, excuse me, not Matthew preaches them, but Jesus preaches five separate sermons or discourses. And the center of those five sermons is Matthew chapter 13. And one of the reasons that they think that Jesus does this is because the book of Deuteronomy is quoted in Matthew uh, as much as any other book in the Old Testament. And the book of Deuteronomy is separated into the five sermons of Moses. And so they believe that Jesus is mimicking Moses in preaching these five sermons. In the midst of these five sermons, in Matthew chapter 13, are these seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. And if this is the structural center of Matthew's gospel, and the main idea that Matthew's going to be talking about here is the kingdom of heaven, we should not be surprised that Jesus tells us seven parables about that kingdom. You see, in the ancient world, in the mind of, of the people living in the ancient Near East, not just in the Bible, but even among the pagans, if you were going to do something right, you had to do it seven times. We don't know why. There's no historical evidence anywhere that tells us why the number seven was so special to them, why they thought it might be a lucky number. But what we do know is that if you're going to do it right, you're going to do it seven times. And so Jesus comes and he's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven and he's going to do it right. And so he talks about it seven times in these seven parables. Now, I, I have a, a slide here that also indicates for us that in talking about the kingdom of heaven, you're going to see Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven more than any other book of the Bible. Fifty-five times he mentions it. And if you see this little graph chart, you're going to see right in the center this big spike of purple. And what this chart tells us is all the places in Matthew's gospel where it talks about the kingdom of heaven, guess where the big spike in the middle is? That's chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel where we find ourselves today. At the very structural center of Matthew's gospel is seven parables about the kingdom. And we absolutely need to pay attention to what it is that Jesus is saying in these parables about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel is very simply this. It is all things that are under the rule, domain, and authority of God. See, from the very beginning of Matthew chapter 1, Matthew tells us that Jesus Christ is the king of this, this promised eternal kingdom. This kingdom that has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This kingdom that is intended to come and reveal righteousness and repentance. Jesus now brings that kingdom to us, speaks of that kingdom, and he is the ruler and the great authority over that kingdom. Knowing 
that this is a story about God's rule, God's reign, God's authority will help us to understand what it is and why it is that Jesus tells us the stories that he does. There's one other thing I want us to grab onto before we actually read these stories. Because as you've heard me say and you'll hear Monty say time and again, one of the most important principles of reading and understanding the Bible is context. When we read Scripture, we cannot just take one or two verses or one or two stories and pull them out of their contexts and make them say what we want them to say. I'll tell you right now, this is the most popular way of interpreting the Bible that exists in the world today, not just in the United States. But I can almost guarantee you that if I were to get on the Internet and I were to type in Matthew 13, 44 to 46, I'd find several hundred sermons and several hundred lessons on the Internet, and about 99.9% of them would have ripped Matthew chapter 13, 44 to 46 out of its context. They would have made up some story that they wanted to preach and that they wanted to tell, and they would have had no consideration for what it is that Jesus wanted to say and what it is that Jesus wanted to tell. So when we're reading passages of Scripture, it's important for us to read not just one story, but multiple stories and see how all of those stories connect together for a unified message. And one of the reasons I'm saying this is because last week, Monty preached a very significant parable to us entitled The Parable of the Wheat and the Weeds. If you will recall, early on in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the story where he says a, a farmer sowed good seed in his field. He sowed wheat. But while he was sleeping, an enemy came and he sowed weeds in the midst of that wheat so that eventually the, the landowner's workers came and they said, look, somebody has sowed weeds in your field and now we've got weeds growing up among the good wheat. Should we go out and just rip those weeds out of the ground? And the farmer says, no. You need to wait until harvest time. Because if you go out and you pull those weeds up now, you might accidentally uproot some of the wheat as well. So we're going to wait until the harvest. And then Jesus says that harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. And at the end of time, end of human history, God will come and he will separate the wicked people, that is the weeds. He'll separate them out. And he will then tie them into bundles to be burned but he will collect the righteous into his kingdom and they will shine like stars forever. It's a beautiful sermon, beautiful parable, but also a deadly parable because we discover that the wheat and the weeds in God's kingdom right now on earth, they grow together until the very end of the age when God will separate the righteous from the wicked at the judgment. And then at the end of Matthew 13, Jesus is going to tell another parable that has the same idea. He tells the parable of a net where he says that these fishermen go out and they let down a net and into that net come all kinds of fish, good and bad. And at the end of the age, Jesus says, the angels, you know, comparing this parable to, to the fishermen, the angels will take all of these fish and they're going to throw the wicked ones out and they're going to keep the righteous. They're going to keep the good fish. There are two parables about judgment at the end of the world where God will separate out of his kingdom the wicked from the righteous. And tucked right in between those two parables about the end of the world come the stories that we read today 
the parable of the treasure that is hidden in a field and the parable of the pearl. And I submit to you that if we read those two parables, apart from those parables of judgment, where Jesus talks about the wheat and the weeds and the parable of the net, we will be making a great mistake and we will be missing Jesus' main idea. So knowing that, let us come in and read these two parables this morning to see what it is that Jesus has to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says to them, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and he sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Very different outcome from being sentenced to prison under British law. This man went and sold all that he had in his joy, and he bought that field where the buried treasure was. Jesus continues and says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought that pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, like a crypto treasure that has been hidden in a field. Now, when we read Matthew's gospel, it's been very clear that the kingdom of God has been hidden since the foundation of the world. That is, people had no idea that it was God's plan from the time that Adam and Eve sinned. It was God's plan that one day he would send Jesus Christ to redeem the world from its wickedness. He would give himself as the final sacrifice on the cross, a sacrifice of love to redeem us who would follow him, believe him, and love him. And in Matthew 13, Jesus comes back and he says, one of the reasons I'm talking to you in these very parables about the kingdom is because now I get to reveal these things that have been hidden since the creation of the world. The kingdom is not hidden anymore. This man who finds this hidden treasure, he goes and he buys it and it's, it's revealed to him. And we see this merchant who is searching, willing to give up everything, for the kingdom that is now revealed. As we read these two stories, I don't want us to overread the text. I want us to be very careful to catch the meaning that Jesus is getting at here in chapter 13. You'll notice that Jesus is not telling us that we can buy the kingdom of heaven. This is the most important thing I need to say about what this text is not saying. Because the merchant goes out and sells all he has and he buys the pearl. The man who finds the treasure goes out and sells all he has and he buys the field. And there will be people, you can find it on the internet, there will be people who will say, you can just go out and sell everything and you can buy the kingdom. And we know that people today will say it because people in the Bible tried to do it as well. If you read in the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer saw the power of God and the power of the kingdom in the Apostle Paul's life. And he offered Paul money for it. I want to buy this thing that you have. And Paul said, buddy, you can't do it. In fact, he pronounced a curse upon this wicked man for thinking that he could somehow buy the power of God and use it as a gimmick for his own gain. This text is not telling us that we can buy the kingdom. That's not part of the comparison. But notice what the text does say. In their joy, 
at finding something of such everlasting and incredible value, each one gave up everything they had in order to obtain it. Throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes it very clear that the only way to follow God, the only way to enter into the kingdom is to have a willingness to give up everything in order to gain something of eternal and lasting value. You will recall, I just said that these two parables are tucked between the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the parable of the net, both of which parables tell us that at the end of the world, God is going to separate the wicked from the righteous. Let them grow together until then, and we're going to separate them. And tucked into between these two parables, you can imagine that the disciples had a question for Jesus, and they say, Lord, but how do we know which ones are the wheat and which ones are the weeds? If the wheat and the weeds are supposed to grow together in the field of this kingdom until the end of the world, how do we know whether we're the wheat or whether we're the weeds? We don't want to wait to the end of the world and somehow find out that the angels are deciding, Kevin, I'm sorry, you happen to be a weed today, and it's bad news for you. How do you know whether you're the wheat or the weed? Or you don't want to wait until the fishermen have pulled in the net and the angels have come and they've started separating the good fish and the bad fish to find out that you could be a bad fish? You can see the disciples saying, Lord, we know that judgment is coming. We know that the righteous and the wicked are going to be separated. But how do we know which is which right now? Surely there's a way to tell. And Jesus tells these two parables and I think the answer is very clear. You want to know if you're wheat and you want to know if you're a good fish? Give up everything for the kingdom of God and follow me with all that you have. I want you to know I'm not just making that up based on the context of Matthew 13. This word everything appears in Matthew's gospel dozens and dozens of times and Jesus makes it very clear to them, you must give up everything for me. That is, absolutely nothing in your life can come between you and God. You will recall in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus tells the disciples that people run around worrying all the time. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Lord, how am I going to survive this world? And Jesus says, I don't want you to worry about any of those things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of those things will be taken care of. All of those things will be added to as well. And you have this Pharisee, this young man in Matthew chapter 19 that comes to Jesus and he thinks he's perfect. He thinks he's doing everything right. And he says to Jesus, I've I've done everything to follow the law. Surely I'm righteous. What more can I do for the kingdom? And Jesus says, there's one thing that has separated you from the kingdom. You are a man of great wealth and you have placed your faith in your wealth, not in God. I want you to go and sell everything that you have Come follow me. The Bible tells us that that man went away sad because in his great wealth, he refused to sell it. He refused to get rid of it to follow Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew tells these stories again and again 
of people who are placing things, placing money, placing wealth, placing possessions, placing human situations between themselves and the kingdom of God. Friends, the most significant thing that the Gospel of Matthew tells us that comes between us and God is money. It shouldn't surprise us then that Jesus tells these stories about treasure hidden in a field and a pearl of great price. These things that are of great wealth and he compares them to the kingdom to say there isn't any amount of money, there aren't any amount of possessions, there's no amount of gold or silver or costly stones that you can acquire that will ever compare to the value of the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus even tells another parable that Monty preached for us about the parable of the soils. You remember, he said, a farmer goes out to scatter his seed, which is the word of God. So the preacher preaches. Jesus preaches the message of the kingdom. And as he's preaching, some of that seed fell on soil that had thorns in it. And Jesus says those thorns are like the wealth of this world. It deceives us and it grows up and it chokes out our faith. And he says you can't have that. Again and again throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes it very clear that one of the things that comes between us and God, that comes between us and the kingdom, is wealth and greed. Now you'll hear people say all the time, I sure hate it when the church talks about money. Guess what, folks? Jesus talked about money all the time. And the reason he talked about it was not because he wants it. You think God needs our money? He made the world. He doesn't need it. That's not the point. What he's trying to say is we don't really need it either. Because he made the world and all that is in it, he clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is burned. He feeds the birds of the air that don't sow or reap or store away in barns. He can take care of us. We don't need to place our faith and our trust and our hope in the material wealth of this world because that will choke us out. It will kill us when it comes to the kingdom. The most important thing, the most valuable thing that we could ever possess in our life is the kingdom. Friends, every parable I said to you a few weeks ago when I had the privilege of preaching for Monty then was that every parable is a trap. You recall? The purpose of parables are to tell stories to people whose pride and hard-heartedness will not allow them to hear the truth. And all of us have been in those situations. You ever been in a situation where somebody tried to come and talk to you about maybe something you've done wrong? And your pride wells up and you get defensive and you just shove it away and you're saying things like, no, 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 I didn't do that or I didn't say that or I didn't mean that. Instead of accepting responsibility for actions and activities, we get these ego defense mechanisms and we deflect responsibility. And parables are told for just such a reaction. To ensnare the proud, to ensnare the hard-hearted, to try to get them to think about the truth and the reality of the gospel. So here is a parable that is telling us there is nothing more valuable in the entire world than the kingdom. And all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ are sitting here today going, Amen, we know that's true. But the trap has been sprung on us in that even though we might believe in our hearts and believe in our minds that there is nothing more valuable than the kingdom of heaven, our words, our thoughts, our actions, our habits, 
and the way we spend our money often tell a very different story, don't they? If we were to sit down and think very carefully about our lives today in, this, in light of these parables, and we were to ask ourselves, is the kingdom of heaven the most important, the most valuable, the most incredible thing in my life? Have I been willing to put everything behind me for the sake of the kingdom? Could we answer that question unequivocally and confidently? Yes. Because you see, the disciples, they answered it that way. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. We've left behind our families from time to time in order to travel to preach the gospel. We've left behind our houses. Lord, we've left it all. And Jesus says, and great will be your reward in heaven because you are willing to leave it all behind for the kingdom. But in Matthew chapter 13, and when Peter, at the end of Matthew's gospel, confesses to Jesus that we've left everything behind, the truth of the matter was not every one of the apostles had left everything behind. And there lies the trap. For you see, it's very clear in Matthew's gospel that one of the disciples was unwilling to leave everything behind. In Matthew's Gospel, you will read about the 12 disciples, the 12 disciples, the 12 disciples until the very end of his Gospel, and then you read about the 11. Because at one point, the Bible tells us that Judas Iscariot, who loved money, betrayed Jesus Christ to the hands of the Roman authorities that they could crucify him and put him to death, and he betrayed Jesus for a meager 30 pieces of silver. Jesus is saying, you've got to give up everything to follow me. And the disciples are saying to themselves, we have given up everything, but not every one of them. And we read this story and Jesus says to us, we've got to give up everything. And some of us, we, we think about our lives and we say, I have given up everything. But if we think about it very clearly, is that true? Have we really given up everything for the kingdom? Because there are times in our lives when I am completely convinced that we betrayed Jesus for far less than the 30 pieces of silver that Judas gave up. What is keeping you from the kingdom? What might be keeping you from easily saying, Lord, I am wheat, I am a good fish. I've been a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ a long time. And I have had the privilege and the honor through Jesus Christ to be able to speak and to minister with people who have endured incredible things. But in sitting in people's homes and in ministering the gospel, you also very sadly learn about an awful lot of things that keep people from the kingdom. One of those things is death. We read in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, People come to Jesus, and Jesus says, I want you to leave everything behind. I want you to follow me. And at least twice, someone says to Jesus, yeah, but Lord, I need to, I need to bury my father. I got to wait for in the Jewish life what could be up to a one-year ritual of burying your father. Lord, let me take care of those things first, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, look, let the dead bury their own dead. The kingdom is before you. I'm before you. You need to follow me now. Death often keeps people from the kingdom. I've sat in the home 
of a woman who unexpectedly and unfortunately lost her husband of 60 years. And in her bitterness over death, kept her from the kingdom. I sat in the home of a middle-aged man experiencing pain that I would never want to experience because his son drowned while swimming in a farm pond and in his anger and in his bitterness over his son's death he shook his fist in hate at God. I don't make light of death. Death hurts. Death is bitter. Death is cruel. That's why Jesus came and died for us so that we don't have to ha say that death has the last word. It doesn't. The beauty of the kingdom is the eternal life that Jesus Christ offers. The only thing that can overcome the bitterness and the cruelty of death is the kingdom. And that's why it's worth giving up everything. Because if our pain and our bitterness over death is allowed to overtake us and keep us from the kingdom, then all we will experience is more and eternal death. And that's not what God wants for us. For some people, it is not death or pain that comes between them or the kingdom, but it's anger and jealousy that keeps them from the kingdom. Perhaps it's anger at a perceived injustice that has taken place in the world, and you say, God, how could you allow that to happen? Could be anger and jealousy at other people who have money, more money than you, more money than me. It doesn't take us very long to realize and you look around in the world that the wicked prosper just like the prophet Jeremiah says God how can you let these wicked people prosper they cheat they steal they lie they murder they rob they do everything that is against your will and they get rich doing it that doesn't seem right God why would we want to be jealous over someone who is unethically and immorally gained more money than we have and let it keep us from the kingdom? Or why would we even care if someone else, even ethically and morally, has more money than we? What does it matter? And yet, so often it does. We get on social media, we see the, the pictures that people have of nice cars and nice houses and nice clothes and the, the vacations that they take, and we think that their world must be perfect, and oh God, I just wish I could have those things, but our jealousy over the things that they have has come between us and the very God we cry out to. For so many, anger and jealousy tear at the soul like a cancer. And the people that have those things don't give up everything with joy like this, these men in, in these two parables do. When they find the kingdom, they realize it is so incredible that in joy, they willingly give up everything. Have we in joy willingly given up everything? Have we experienced the beauty and the glory and the power of God's kingdom so that everything else pales by comparison? It's a hard question to answer because sometimes... Life is messy, life is dirty, life is hard, and it can scar the way we think about the kingdom. 
For so many people, it's broken relationships that keep them from the kingdom. It's a divorce. It's a, a bad relationship with their parents, a bad relationship with their siblings, a bad relationship with somebody else. And, and they just blame God and they blame the church and they say, we, we, can't give, we just can't give up the pain of that for the kingdom. I would say to you, if there's anything keeping you from the kingdom today, find a way to put it aside because there is nothing, absolutely nothing worth sacrificing eternal life and salvation. Nothing at all is worth it. I want you to know, as I stand before you this morning, I'm, I'm not passing judgment. That isn't my job. But Matthew 13 tells us that it is God's and he will one day judge the living and the dead and separate the wicked from the righteous. And these two parables that Jesus tells us today are told to us so that we will take stock of our lives, so that we will sit down like the disciples had to do. We will sit down and we will think, am I the good wheat? Am I a good fish? Have I given up everything for the kingdom, for salvation, for eternal life? Have I put aside my worry about work? Have I put aside my pursuit of wealth? Have I put aside all of those other things in life that have consumed me and kept me from giving my very all to the kingdom? And if you find that in your heart there is something you have held back from God, that you have not pursued Him with a single-mindedness that is needed in the kingdom, then you are in the right place. Because one of the other things that Matthew makes very clear to us is that the kingdom of God comes upon us by the grace of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. You know that the first message that Jesus preached on the earth was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. For the humble of heart, for people who are willing to hear Jesus' words, all you have to do is come to Jesus and say, God, I have allowed this to come between me and you. I have allowed this to come between me and eternal life. I have allowed this part of my life to keep me from the kingdom of heaven. And oh God, take it from me. And our gracious and loving God hears the humble and the repentant heart and he removes that wickedness from us as far as the east is from the west. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is the revealed kingdom of heaven. So as you take stock of yourself this week, as you take stock of yourself this morning and you ask yourself, have I really given it all to the kingdom? I want you to know that I love Marion Road Christian Church and one of the things I love about it is I know that if you need to repent, you need to share your heart with somebody, you need to confess that something has kept you between God, uh, something has kept you from pursuing the kingdom. That we have leaders in this church who are willing to listen with humility and grace. They're willing to pray with you. They're willing to walk with you. They're willing to guide you. They're willing to help you overcome those things because all of us have them. And in God's graciousness, all we have to do is give it over to Him. If you need that today, you need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to walk with you. You need somebody to guide you through 
as you evaluate your life and say, this, this is a part of my life I have to give up, I want you to make the decision today, this very day, not to carry that burden out with you anymore. You can pray with one of our elders. You can pray with our staff. You can pray with anybody in this church. I, there's nothing special in that regard when you're a member of Christ's kingdom. Find someone you love and trust who will walk with you, pray with you, and help you through those moments. Because there is nothing more valuable than the treasure that is hidden in the field. There is nothing more valuable than the margarita with Jesus, the pearl of great price, the kingdom of God.